0: Dr. Jason Lancaster. Names are important. All of my kids'
1: middle names have significance. Elijah Scott, my 20-year-old, University of Colorado, he took on my middle name, Scott. Karis Ann, my 19-year-old, up in the Chicago area at Trinity, took on my wife's middle name, Ann. Roman James, our 12-year-old, took on my father-in-law's first name, James, for his middle name. Our 9-year-old Daniel Lee actually has the middle name of both grandfathers, Lee. Mary Tamra, our 8-year-old daughter, who maybe some of you saw took to a daddy-daughter dance last night. That was fun. Mary Tamra, Tamra is my... Wife's best friend. And then there is Darion Jason, our seven-year-old son who actually took on my first name, Jason as his middle name. And then there's our 15-year-old, Jordan K, K K-A-E. And you may wonder, well, who is K? Let me tell you about K. K is one of the kindest, Persons we have ever met. When my wife and I got married in Dallas, about a month or two later, we moved to our first life together, our first church together in Santa Monica, California, and we came in contact with Kay. And instantly, Kay would would pour out her love and kindness toward us, so much so that we ended up calling her our California Grandma. Grandma. And her husband was the, the gra- California grandpa. It was Kay and Steve, or as my kids would call them, Nanny and Poppy. Kay would do a significant amounts for us. She would send us little cards with notes all the time. She would give us books with these long, handwritten uh, notes in the, the binder of, you know, the, the edge of the book. And one time, our, our Our stove went out in the parsonage, and she bought us a new stove. Now, she wasn't wealthy, but she was just so kind to us. And then we had complications in our first birth of Elijah, and she was there, not only gifts for Elijah, but she was there with the best matzo ball soup that you've ever tasted. And then we had uh, the birth of our daughter, Karis, and Kay was right there. And just took care of us under her wing and and would get her American Girl doll stuff. Took her to Disneyland. Just showered so much love on her. And then it came time for us to move from Santa Monica to Chicago. And right before we moved, a month before we moved, we had the birth of our daughter, Jordan. And it was only appropriate that she take on the middle name, Kay. Because Kay was one of the kindest people we have ever met. And now Kay is with the Lord. And we still keep in contact with her husband, Steve, Poppy. And as we talk to him, we continue to reminisce about the life of Kay and her kindness. It was a kindness worthy of imitation. And it's that virtue of the fruit of the Spirit that we want to talk about today. Kindness. We've been going through the fruit of the Spirit this year that comes from Galatians chapter 5. We studied Galatians last fall. Now we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's not about your natural temperament. It's not about your abilities or your inabilities. It's about the power of God exhibiting kindness through you. Now, I don't know how you've been doing the past few weeks as we've been going through these virtues. They can be quite convicting. Before I left this morning, I said, wife, be kind to the children to limit your conviction during the sermon. We all struggle in exhibiting these virtues, but we gotta remember it's it's full strength and full dependence, full strength in the sense that we step out by grace to exhibit these virtues and then we're fully dependent upon the Lord to exhibit them in our lives. But let's think about kindness because next week we're gonna talk about goodness and you're wondering, what's the distinction between kindness and goodness? And it's really hard to really even make a distinction, but something that I have found helpful is that I view kindness more as a, a hard habit. A hard habit of seeking the best for others, even at great cost to yourself. While goodness is more of the planned, at, planned out actions resulting in their blessing. A helpful verse for me to think of of kindness is Philippians chapter two, three and four. It can, contains the idea of kindness without even saying the word. Paul says, do nothing from selfish, uh, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. It's kind of that heart habit of seeking the best for others, even at great cost to yourself. While goodness, on the other hand, is seen more in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So that's the idea of more of this planned out action resulting in their blessing. So I see kindness as kind of off the cuff. Kind of off the cuff, I don't even wanna say spontaneous, but this heart habit of seeking to serve others. And remember we came off of patience last week and so I have a, a scholar who gave me some wisdom to connect these two together. Gordon Fee says, if long suffering, patience, means not to chew someone's head off, then kindness means to find ways to actively show mercy to them, to take the towel and wash patient in hand and wash their feet. Once again, it's this heart habit of seeking the best for others and sometimes at a cost to yourselves. Before we start diving more and more into kindness, I want you to think about this heart disposition, this off-the-cuff preferring of seeking to do good to others. It's like that little girl's prayer at night. She said, Dear God, make all the bad people good and all the good people nice. You want your good works cloaked in kindness. You don't just want to do good works like, I'm just here reporting for duty. I'm just doing my duty. I'm just here to serve you because that's my duty. No one wants to be on the receiving end of that. In fact, that is not the way God exhibits kindness to you or good works to you. He's just not showing up to do his duty. He has a heart and affection moved towards you in kindness. And it's his kindness toward us that we want to imitate. And so to break it down where we're going today, we're going to look at God's habit of kindness toward you and your habit of kindness towards others. God's habit of kindness toward you and your habit of kindness toward others. And once again this week, we're going to be looking at a variety of verses. But let's start with the idea of God's habit of kindness toward you. Colossians chapter three, verse 12, shows this dual kindness of God and your kindness to others. Colossians 3, 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You, if you're a believer, are an object and a target of God's kindness. It was in his kindness that he chose you to be his child. In his kindness that he declared you righteous and holy in Christ. It was in his kindness that he set his forever affection upon you. And it's in his kindness that's ongoing day after day after day. The children of Israel praised the Lord for his loving kindness displayed to them. Isaiah 63, seven. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindness. Loving kindness is such a wonderful word from the Hebrew hesed. It's God's character the fullness of his loving kindness expressed in his deliverance of Israel and also his ongoing care. Even in the midst of their foolishness, he overwhelms them with his loving kindness, and they in turn habitually praise him for his loving kindness. Did you know that you are an object, a target of God's kindness and salvation? The passage we read is Titus 3, verses 4 through 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God's heart habit of seeking your best was at great cost to himself the sacrifice of his son. There is a false teaching and a heretical idea going around that God displays kindness to humanity and all indeed are saved and all indeed will go to heaven. It doesn't depend on what they believe or don't believe. God saves us all because he is kind. That is a misunderstanding of the character of God and a misunderstanding of the necessity of Jesus Christ going to the cross. And when you say that people are saved no matter what they do, what you're doing, you're saying the cross was not necessary. But without the cross, you have no kindness. Without the cross, you will for sure, absolutely be doomed to suffering in hell forever. Because it's in the cross, it displays the kindness of God. Because in his kindness, he poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. And if that did not happen, there would be no kindness for us. And for you and I to say or anybody to say that it's not necessary to believe in Christ to have eternal life, then they are dismissing the kindness of God displayed in the cross. Because it was at the cross we see the kindness of God which was at great cost to him. God is just not throwing kindness around at no cost to himself. It was at the cost of his son. And if you were here this morning And in your life, you're wondering, how can I get in on the kindness of God? It is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the abundance of God's kindness will be poured out on you and his forgiveness, grace, in eternal life. For in the cross, we see the kindness of God. And it's only in the cross can it make sense to us for now and for eternal life. What about this idea of God's kindness not only in salvation, but God's kindness to humanity? God's loving kindness to humanity, even apart from salvation in his daily care of them. Because get this, it is even a display of God's kindness for the wicked to have food. It is a display of God's kindness for the wicked to have something to drink. It is a display of God's kindness even for the wicked to have the sun shining. You ever thought about that? Think about some of these verses. One of them comes from Acts 14, 17. And yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And God is even kind to the ungrateful and the evil in Luke 6 35. But love your enemies and do good and limb, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. So even though his salvific kindness is not displayed to the evil who do not want to turn to the cross, he's still throwing out kindness of sunshine and food and rain to the wicked and the whole point of letting us in on that knowledge is now for you and i to display kindness to others even kindness to others who are difficult and in this context even kindness to those who are evil and wicked So if God has this habit of kindness toward us at great cost to himself, so we should have the habit of kindness toward others at great cost to ourselves. So let's switch it up a bit to your habit of kindness toward others. And I have been uh, really impacted by this guy I've read over the years. His name is Christopher Wright. And he has really been impacted by what John Stott taught him. So I'm just going to go ahead and pass it on to you. And this is, this is so good. So I'm going to share a little bit of, of where we're going with this um, that he has taught me. This is really, really good. So try to lock in what we're saying here. Let's start with Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The idea is that whatever you do in your words and in your actions, you are doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? says, now to do something in the name of Jesus, in his name, means that I'm doing something that he would do if he were present. I want to make sure you catch that. To do something in the name of Jesus means that I'm doing something that he would do if he were present. It means that I'm acting as though Christ himself were acting through me. And here's a great question to ask. What would I do for people if I were Christ? Now there's the classic WWJD, what would Jesus do? But I think that's too much of a, a mantra, or too, too typical of our thinking, but let's ask it this way. What would I do for people if I were Christ? If You're doing something in the name of Jesus. You're doing something that he would do if he were present. What would I do for people if I were Christ? And to keep that question in mind, I'm going to press it in on you to really think, what would you do for people if you were Christ? Bob Goff, I mentioned him last week, is an author and speaker. travels around the world. Well, one day he flew into the Orlando airport and a a limo picked him up. And he had never been in a limo before. So he's driving around, his, his limo driver is driving him, and he started talking to his limo driver. And he discovered that the limo driver had been driving important people around for years, and he was about to retire. So Bob said to him, hey, have you ever rode in the back of a limo? And the guy said, no way, I I would get fired. And Bob's like, well, you're about to retire, so let me drive you around. So he got out, switched spots, Bob put on a limo hat, and started driving his limo driver around town all the way to the hotel. And then Bob hopped out, opened the door for the limo driver, gave him a big hug, and headed into the hotel. Now, I'm not sure Jesus would do exactly that, but it's along the same lines of, what would I do for people if I were Christ? Now, I'm gonna keep pressing, let's keep pressing, because I'm not gonna let you off the hook here. I'm gonna tell you another story. There's a church in Tennessee that attempts to minister to women who work at gentlemen's clubs. Let me I don't want to go into details but they are the dancers. And as they've attempted to minister to these women, they've had some failed attempts. At first, they would send in younger women from their church to minister to these dancers. And these women from their church were the same age as the dancers and it didn't work out because the dancers felt judged. So the church had to regroup and rethink their strategy and then they sent in some some people a little bit older and so the women would go to the club from their church and try to, to minister to these women but it didn't work out because these women who were a little bit older reminded the dancers of their moms. And they didn't have a very good relationship with their mom. That's probably why they're there, right? So that didn't work. And so the church had to go back and regroup and how can we minister to the dancers? And then finally, they sent in the grandmas. And it was great because these girls, most of them had good relationship with their grandmas because their grandmas displayed so much kindness. So all you grandmas out there, your kindness can still have impact. You can still minister to others in significant ways, even in ways that you couldn't when you were younger. You can still display kindness toward others. Now once again, let me keep keep pressing in on you about this. What would I do for you if I were Christ? Let's bring it back to our eat, love, pray. Let's take it back to even golf, love, pray, remember? This is where we're trying to deliberately engage with others in eating with them or taking them out and going golfing with them, loving them, encouraging them, uh, and then afterwards praying for them. The elders and, and I were reading a book called The Neighboring Church, and The Neighboring Church gives a whole list of ideas for ways that you can love golf partners or those who you eat with, all your neighbors. They have this whole long list of suggestions. And as I was reading all those, I thought, there's no way I'm going to share all those suggestions with you because you would be overwhelmed and do none. So I'm going to pick one, and here's what it is. Listen to this suggestion. Know the names, histories, hopes, and hurts of our neighbors. Know the names, histories, hopes, and hurts of our neighbors. You see, kindness can really start when you're getting to know your neighbor's names, their their backstory, some of their hopes and hurts. Because I guarantee you there's no shortage of people who are hurting, who are lonely, and be very open with you to sharing about your life. So get this, in kindness, shut your mouth and listen. Listen. Why would you talk so much about yourself? You already know all you need to know about yourself. (laughs) Ask questions about others. Get to know their names, their histories, and the hopes and the hurts, and you would be surprised. That is kindness. What would I do for people if I were Christ? Now let's switch it up a bit. Let's switch it up a bit and start to ask another question by looking first at Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. The context is the way servants are to act toward their masters. They weren't to think they were trying to please earthly masters, which could be difficult, but as if they were working for the Lord. The passage says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. That means that you are to act as if you are serving Christ and he were right in front of you, which leads to the second question. What would I do for people if they were Christ? What would I do for people if they were Christ? There's a story told by Christopher Wright about. Maybe you've seen the voice of the martyrs. That Richard Wombrand. Remember him? He was the Romanian pastor in prison and tortured by the communist regime. And he was he was in a cell with other tortured believers. And he he they didn't have anything. They just gave him this this terrible little blanket that didn't really keep him warm that much. It was freezing. And while he's trying to cover up and hover up, he looks over and he sees a guy shivering who doesn't have a blanket at all. And while he's there just kind of doing his thing, he, he, he thought came to his mind. And the question was this that came to his mind. He said, if that were Christ, would you give him your blanket? That really came to his mind. I mean, if that were Christ, would you give him his blanket? And the answer was yes, he gave him his blanket. And later he gets out of jail and he wrote a book. And that was the name of the book. If that were Christ, would you give him your blanket? It's a great question to continue to ask is that what would I do for people if they were Christ? It's this heart habit of seeking the best for others, even at great cost to yourself. And, and it's these two great questions I think we need to ask. What would I do for people if I were Christ? And what would I do for people if they were Christ? As God's habit of kindness is aimed at you, not only in your salvation, but on a daily basis, the idea is that now you are to aim that kindness at others. And what I'm hoping in going to the Word like this is that we're just not here to hear the Word, but we actually want to do it. And we cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit because who in here really wants to be kind at great cost to themselves? I'm not ready to sign up for that. However, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can be kind to others by His grace, by His power, by His mercy, as He has been kind to me, and so can you. Now, I want to leave you with a an unrealistic vision for the village. Can we do this? This I'm just going to throw out the most unrealistic, crazy vision for the entire village. You okay with that? This is not, you're going to say this is crazy, this is unrealistic, and really only God could pull this off. So I'm going to throw it out to you. It's something I read. I I can't believe it. It, It's it's pretty amazing. And it's the vision I have for the village. And you'll see where we're going with this. Now, Now listen to this, all right? I know we're all doing good. We're all connected here. We have great community fellowship. But the village is often full of lonely, disconnected, and some ill and very sick seniors, right? We know this, right? And this loneliness, this disconnectedness, it can impact you mentally, it can impact you spiritually, and even physically. And one doctor put it like this, listen to this. Around 25% of high-risk seniors who are discharged from the hospital get readmitted within 30 days. Many of these people are isolated and lack the social support that caring neighbors could provide and, as a result, help to prevent avoidable hospital readmission. I wonder who those caring neighbors could be. Yeah, that would be you. Your kindness in Jesus can transform those in your sphere of influence. I really believe that. Those within reach of your kindness can transform those in your reach. I really believe that. When we ask these questions, what would I do for people if I were Christ? And what would I do for people if they were Christ? It's my hope and, and prayer for you, even though it may not extend to the whole village, that may God's habit of kindness to you, extend through you, to
0: others. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.